Let me read you the summary from the back cover of the book. This is what it says. Bilkis Sheikh was a Pakistani woman of noble birth. Left by her husband, a high-ranking government official, she retreated to the family estate to live out her days in quiet luxury. But the deep down peace she sought eluded her. Searching in the Quran, she found references to the Prophet Jesus. So she turned to the pages of the Christian Bible to see if they could shed some more light on this mysterious figure. At the same time, a series of strange dreams launched her on a quest that would bring her to crisis point. And in her book, Bilkis Sheikh describes that crisis point came when her grandson, whom she had adopted, fell ill. And she took him to a Christian hospital in Royal Pindi, the Holy Family Hospital. And there, as she sat by the bedside, she shared with one of the doctors her search for God. Let me read from her own account. The doctor said, Why don't you pray to the God you were searching for? Ask him to show you his way. Talk to him as if he were your friend. I smiled. She might as well suggest I talk to the Taj Mahal. But then Dr. Santiago said something that shot through my being like electricity. She took my hand in hers, tears streaming down her cheeks. Talk to him, she said very quietly, as if he were your father. I sat back quickly. A dead silence filled the room. Talk to God as if he were my father? The thought shook my soul in that peculiar way that truth has of being at once startling and comforting. Later that day, having returned home, with no trace discovered of her grandson's mysterious illness, she describes how she went to her bedroom to consider all that had happened. Let me read again her account. Alone in my room, I got on my knees and tried to call him father. But it was a useless effort, and I straightened in dismay. It was ridiculous. Wouldn't it be sinful to bring the great one down to our own level? I fell asleep that night more confused than ever. Hours later, I awoke. It was after midnight, my birthday. I was 47 years old. I felt a momentary excitement, a carryover from my childhood, when birthdays were festivals with string bands on the lawn, games and relatives coming to the house all day. Now there would be no celebration, perhaps a few phone calls, nothing more. Oh, how I miss those childhood dates. I thought of my parents as I like to remember them best. Mother, so loving, regal and beautiful. And father, I'd been so proud of him with his high posts in the Indian government. I could still see him impeccably dressed, adjusting his turban at the mirror before leaving for the office. The friendly eyes under the bushy eyebrows, the gentle smile, the chiseled features and aquiline nose. One of my cherished memories was seeing him at work in his study. Even in a society where sons were more highly regarded than daughters, father prized his children equally. Often, as a little girl, I would have a question to ask him, and I would peek at him from around the door of his office, hesitant to interrupt. Then his eye would catch mine. Putting down his pen, he would lean back in his chair and call out, Keecher? Slowly, I would walk into his study, my head down. He would smile and pat 
the chair next to his. Come, my darling, sit here. Then placing his arm around me, he would draw me to him. Now, my little teacher, he would ask gently, what can I do for you? It was always the same with Father. He didn't mind if I bothered him. Whenever I had a question or problem, no matter how busy he was, he would put aside his work to devote his full attention to me. It was well past midnight as I lay in bed, savoring this wonderful memory. Oh, thank you, I murmured to God. Was I really talking to him? Suddenly, a breakthrough of hope flooded me. Suppose, just suppose, God were like a father. If my earthly father would put aside everything to listen to me, wouldn't my heavenly father? Shaking with excitement, I got out of bed, sank to my knees on the rug, looked up to heaven, and in a rich new understanding, called God my father. I was not prepared for what happened. Well, you can read the remarkable story of what happened in a book. It's available on the bookstore. Its title is, I Dared to Call Him Father. I would guess that very few of us have ever had an experience like that. For many people in the West, and for almost all Christians, the thought of addressing God as Father is so commonplace that we hear it and even do it without thinking what it means. Yet the reason we do this is due to one person and one person alone. When Jesus of Nazareth walked this earth, the crowds who heard his amazing teaching and saw his wonderful miracles were so impressed. But those who knew him best, those who watched him 24 hours a day, who lived with him, who walked with him, who saw him week after week, month after month, for three years, were impressed by something else. The intimate relationship he enjoyed with God, seen in the hours he spent in prayer. And so, on one such occasion, after he had finished praying, one of his followers, speaking no doubt on behalf of all the rest, said, Lord, teach us to pray. And in response, Jesus said to them, When you pray, say, Father. And so follows the familiar Lord's Prayer. But the key to the prayer is the first word, the term of address. For how you address someone defines and describes your relationship with them and the likelihood of whether they will respond and how they will respond. Think, for example, of the different ways in which I have been addressed over the years, the ones that are repeatable. Peter, Granger, school days. Mr. Granger, first day at university, looked round for my father. Sir, dear, expensive. <laughs> Pastor, dad, two people only. Hey, you. In each case, the person chooses a term of address that they think is appropriate to my relationship with them. So what is the appropriate term 
when we speak to the God of the universe, the one and only true God, the maker of heaven and earth. Surprisingly, shockingly to those who first heard him, Jesus said, when you pray, say, Father. So how do you respond to that? The thought of addressing God as Father. Does it seem as it did and still does to many people from a Muslim background, Jewish background, does it seem presumptuous? Or does it seem passe because the term is so over-familiar? Or for some of us here this morning, does it seem a painful term? Because we didn't have or still don't have a father who was approachable and our views of fatherhood are negative largely. What we need to try and do is understand what the Bible teaches and what Jesus meant when he said, when you pray, say, Father. And that's what we're going to start to do this morning in our series, Learning from the Lord's Prayer. And we're just going to focus on this key word this morning as we look again at Luke 11, verses 1 to 13. Now, I've struggled with this this week, not because I didn't know what to say. I struggled with it because I didn't know what not to say. Because it's such an enormous subject, particularly in the New Testament. And we could be here till this evening service and we get a cup of coffee and just keep going, but we're not going to do that. So all I want to do today, and, and I feel in some ways it's not really adequate, but let me leave it with you. I simply want to leave with you three simple statements about God as Father. And even the words are rather clumsy because we're talking about a relationship. So just ignore the words or the outlines if it doesn't help you. But let me say three simple things. First of all, God is the Father we can have. God is the Father we can have. The disciples, observing this intimate relationship with God that Jesus had, said, Lord, teach us to pray. We want to pray like you pray. And so Jesus said, when you pray, say, Father. Why does he say that? Because in the Gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, whenever we have any record of Jesus actually praying, his actual words, he always, with one exception that we'll come to at the end, he always addressed God as Father. The term he used, almost certainly reflecting his own mother tongue, which was Aramaic, is the word Abba. It's a term of intimacy. It's very hard to translate it into English. Some people think you should translate it dad or daddy. That's really too colloquial. Probably something like dear father. And now Jesus is teaching his followers to address God in the same way that he addressed God. Now that relationship which Jesus enjoyed with God as his Father, was his by nature and his by right. In fact, although we can't understand it clearly, even in eternity, the Father is related to the Son. Not in a generic way, but by eternal right. Theologians call it the eternal sonship of Christ. But in a very real way, not by the same basis, we are able to pray to God. 
what was his by nature and right can now become ours by new nature and by grace. Indeed, the reason God sent the Son into the world was so that we might know God as our Heavenly Father. If you want a little catchphrase, help you to remember it. The Son of God became the Son of Man so that sons of men might become sons of God. And again, I don't use the word sons in, a, in, in, a, uh, in anything to do with gender. It's to do with privilege. Sons and daughters, it includes men and women. If you're a woman and the Bible calls you a son of God, that is a privileged term because in Hebrew culture, of course, the sons got all the best things and the daughters were second rate. And so when the Bible says to you, if you're male or female, you're all sons of God, it's a privileged term. But will you notice something else? Jesus is not inviting everyone to address God as Father. He's speaking to those who are his followers. He is not teaching here the universal fatherhood of God. In fact, the claims of Jesus for himself are exclusive. Very familiar verse, John 14, verse 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You come to the Father through the Son. And it was those kind of claims which, as today, brought Jesus into conflict with the people of his day, particularly the religious people of his day. The religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders, claimed that God was their Father. Now listen what Jesus said to them, quite out outspoken words. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, this is John 8 verse 42, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and now I'm here. I have not come on my own, but God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you're unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. Not very politically or religiously correct. And it is through Jesus, as we come to him, turning from our sin, putting our faith in him, that we change fathers, that we are, as we sang, adopted into God's family. There is a change of status. When you become a Christian, one of the wonderful things is that God not only forgives the past, wipes out your debt, he then says, become a member of my family. You're adopted into God's family family. And this is not just a legal process that involves a change of status, it is a supernatural act which involves a change of nature. For what actually happens is when you become a Christian, God sends his Holy Spirit to live within you and to change you and to make you in reality a child of God. It's such a radical change that Jesus, again, in words that have become very debased today, Jesus said to a religious man, it's like being born again. Born into God's family, born by His Spirit. We're given the Holy Spirit a change of nature. In his letter to the Christians in Rome, the Apostle Paul says, Those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. You don't become a slave when you become a Christian. But you receive the spirit of adoption or sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. 
Now, if you're a Christian, you know what that means. If you're not, it's very hard to explain. But there is that inner assurance, God's Spirit witnesses your spirit, that you're a child of God, that you belong to Him. You're part of His family. Last Sunday, we had a weekend off, and we worshipped in our first church, which is down in Buckinghamshire in England. And it was a chance to meet old friends. Uh, And one of them I shook hands with and had a wee chat with uh, is a man called Doug. He was a deacon in our church. He drove a disc cart for the local uh, council. Whenever I think of Doug, I think of the first time I ever heard him share how he became a Christian. And his words kind of stuck in my mind. I've probably shared them before. This is what he said. I was a Bernardo's boy, and I never had a father. A father, he's a cockney. But now God is my father, and that's better than any human father. And whether you've had a father or not, or have a father... I want to ask you this morning, first of all, do you have a heavenly father? Is God your father? And that's the first thing we learn from the Lord's Prayer, that God is the father we can have. But there's something else. Secondly, God is the father we can know. Maybe you did have a father, do have a father, but you don't enjoy or didn't enjoy a close relationship with him. You didn't know him well. Maybe unlike Bilkis Sheikh, the door to his office was never open. Or if it was, you were never invited in. Or never invited to sit with him, never loved or listened to. Maybe you were a daughter and he wanted a son or vice versa. But God the Father is different. You see, the New Testament truth is not that God is like a father. The New Testament truth is that God is the Father and our fathers are but poor imitations even the best of them, of God the Father. Let me give you an illustration that may help. Again, I may have used it some years ago. I visited the Tate Gallery in London and bought a print of Turner's wonderful painting, The Wreck of the Fighting Camerere. Now, supposing you'd seen my print and you didn't know anything about the original. Suppose one day you were down in the Tate and you were walking around and there on the wall you saw the magnificent original picture. You wouldn't say, gosh, This is a copy of Peter Granger's picture. No, you would realise that this was the original and it made my copy, however good it was, pretty poor in comparison. Now, God is the Father, the perfect Father. In fact, to show the contrast, in, in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew, our Lord says, when you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, so you don't get mixed up with the Father on earth. Any Father on earth. God the Father is the perfect Father and all human fathers are poor imitations of Him. Some are very poor. Some are quite good. But compared with the original, they're nothing. And so when we think about God as Father, we need to think not of the copy, but of the original. He is our Father in heaven. And the picture of the Father revealed in His Word the Bible, revealed most fully by Jesus, his son, and his relationship with him, shows him to be a God to whom we can come because his arms are always open wide, his door is always open to admit his children. He's never too busy. His secretary never says, sorry, he's got a full diary this week, I can fit you in next week on Tuesday afternoon. We can come with our requests. His door and his arms are always open. He's always ready to welcome us. 
and to welcome us no matter where we've been and what we've done. Of course, that's the point of that wonderful parable. We call it the parable of the prodigal son, but it's really the parable of the father's love. Because this son has wasted his living and he comes back home in rags. And he expects to be welcomed back, if at most tolerated, as a servant. In fact, he's got a speech ready. Make me one of your hired servants. He never even gets the speech out. Because the father flings his arms around him and says, let's have a party, let's celebrate. This son of mine was lost and is found, was dead and is alive. Now you may be a prodigal this morning. You may be far away from God. You can be in church and far away from God. It happens all the time. And you've done all sorts of things that you're ashamed of and you lived your own life and you turned your back on your father and you went your own way. And I want to say this morning that God the Father is always ready to welcome you back. In fact, he's already down the road in the parable looking, waiting for the return of the son. He wasn't just happened to be that day that he happened to be there looking. He was there every day. And the father is always looking and longing for the return of prodigal sons and daughters. And what better place to come this morning than this table that reminds you there is forgiveness and restoration. He's not only always ready to welcome us, he's always ready to answer our prayers. The parable that follows tells us that there is no time, even midnight, when you can't speak to the Father and he answers your prayers. He's always ready to answer. Ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds. To him who knocks, the door will be opened. Verses 9 and 10. See, God the Father, unlike our human fathers sometimes, doesn't just tolerate us when we seek him out. And we, we, this happens with fathers, and I speak as a father. Uh, and your child knows that really you're actually busy doing something else. And you, you, you sort of talk, but you really need to get on with it. And you sort of, you know, you just... Uh, minimize the conversation in the hope that you can get on with what you really need to be doing. No, God the Father delights in our presence. He loves to share with us. The problem is that we're too busy and have no time for Him. See, Jesus enjoyed that intimate relationship. It wasn't that He came to us and said, I've got to show people what prayer is all about. So if I can show my disciples that I'm praying four hours a day, wow, that'll really be a challenge to them. No, he just loved to spend time in the presence of his father. All the big decisions of life, he, he spent time with his father. Why? Because it was a relationship of love. The father loves the son, the son loves the father. Read through John's Gospel, you'll see the, the whole picture there described in great detail. He delights in our presence and he loves to hear and answer our prayers and to meet our requests. And because this is the case, a third thing follows, a third simple thing. He's the father we can have He's the father we can know. And thirdly and finally, he's the father we can trust. The story is told of a rich businessman who one day took his small son who had just about learned to walk and stood him on a table. And he stood him on the table and said, Jump, son, and I'll catch you. And the wee boy jumped off the table and the father stepped back like that and put his hands behind his back. And the son crashed to the floor. And the father then said, Rule one in life, son, never trust anybody. Well, I hope it's a fictitious story. But, even if the details are fictitious, the experience is not. Many of us, an increasing number, sadly, in our fragmented society, have experienced a betrayal of trust made all the more painful 
by the fact that the one who failed us was the one that we trusted the most. We jumped and there was no one there. Not even anyone there to pick us up. And even where those we have trusted have not let us down because of a lack of commitment, they may have disappointed us because of a lack of ability or resources to make good what they promised. But God is the Father we can trust. He is the one who is willing and able to meet our needs. So Jesus concludes his teaching on prayer with these words, the words that David focused on. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Instead, or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, notice again the parallel. If you then, you fathers, though you are evil by nature, know how to give good gifts to your children, if you would do the best, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? He gives us what is best for us. And as David said, sometimes we ask God for things that are not wise or not important. But the best gift that God can give and will give us is his Holy Spirit. Notice the final words. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? But you have to ask. You have to seek. You have to knock. And some of us have settled for a lot less than the Holy Spirit. God's best. Or we look for things that are of lesser importance. Our prayer list, our wish list, list, are things that in comparison are nothing. God's greatest gift to us as his people, it's a plural prayer as well as a personal one, is his Holy Spirit and how we need his Holy Spirit individually and as a church. God is the Father we can trust. But again, because some of us have had bad experiences where fathers or others have let us down, we find it hard to trust. We find it hard to let go. We find it hard to say to God, Lord, I trust you. So do we trust him? Are we trusting him? Almost finished. There is, as far as I'm aware, and I said at the beginning, only one example in the Gospel records where Jesus addressed God as other than Father. If you know the Bible, you'll know where it is. It was uttered by Jesus on the cross. It's recorded in Matthew and in Mark. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, is the word, my God, my God, Why have you forsaken me? A few hours previously in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus had prayed, Father, if it be possible, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. What was the cup that he was looking at? It was the cup of God's wrath. It was the cup of God's judgment upon sin. And he took the penalty we deserved. And he went to the cross and bearing our sin in the darkness, which was not just physical but spiritual, the darkness for the first time ever of separation from his Father because he was bearing our sin, he cried out, My God, not Father, My God, My God, why have you forsaken me? The Son separated from the Father. However, 
These were not his final words. His last words from the cross were these. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. The relationship restored. God the Father accepted what the Son did so that we might be forgiven. He took the cup that we deserve, bore the penalty that we deserve, so that we can be restored to God, we can be members of his family, so now it is possible for people like you and me to call God our Father. He is God the Father, the Father we can have. Is he your Father? Are you his son, his daughter? He's the God we can know, the Father we can know. Do you know him? Are you getting to know him better? He's the Father we can trust. Do you trust him with your life and with everything? We have this amazing privilege which people have never even imagined down through the centuries and all over the world that we can call God Father. Let's come to God in prayer as we give thanks.